The Boats of the Glen Carrig by William Hope Hodgson. Being an account of their adventures in the strange places of the earth after the foundering of the good ship Glen Carrig through striking upon a hidden rock in the unknown seas to the southward, as told by John Winterstraw, gentleman, to his son James Winterstraw in the year 1757, and by him committed very properly and legibly to manuscript. Chapter 17 How We Came to Our Own Country Now, when the day came on which we made to leave the nearness of the island and the waters of that strange sea, there was a great lightness of heart among us, and we went very merrily about such tasks as were needful. And so, in a little while, we had the kedge tripped, and had cast the ship's head to starboard, and presently had her braced up upon the larboard tack, the which we managed very well, though our gear worked heavily, as might be expected. And after that we had gotten under way, we went to the lee side to witness the last of that lonesome island, and with us came the men of the ship, and so for a space there was silence among us, for they were very quiet, looking astern and saying not, but we had sympathy with them, knowing something of those past years. And now the boatswain came to the break of the poop, and called down to the men to muster aft, the which they did, and I with them, for I had come to regard them as my very good comrades, and rum was served out to each of them, and to me along with the rest, and it was Mistress Madison herself who dipped it out to us from the wooden bucket, though it was the buxom woman who had brought it up from the lazarette. Now, after the rum, the boatswain bade the crew to clear up the gear about the decks and get matters secured, and at that I turned to go with the men, having become so used to work with them. But he called to me to come up to him upon the poop, the which I did, and there he spoke respectfully, remonstrating with me, and reminding me that now there was need no longer for me to toil, for that I was come back to my old position of passenger such as I had been in the Glen Carrig ere she foundered. But to this talk of his I made reply that I had as good a right to work my passage home as any other among us, for though I had paid for a passage in the Glen Carrig, I had done no such thing regarding the seabird, this being the name of the hulk. And to this, my reply, the boatswain said little, but I perceived that he liked my spirit, and so from thence until we reached the port of London I took my turn and part in all seafaring matters, having become by this quite proficient in the calling. Yet in one matter I availed myself of my former position, for I chose to live aft, and by this was able to see much of my sweetheart, Mistress Madison. Now after
After dinner, upon the day on which we left the island, the boatswain and the second mate picked the watches, and thus I found myself chosen to be in the boatswain's, at which I was mightily pleased. And when the watches had been picked, they had all hands to bout ship, the which, to the pleasure of all, she accomplished, for under such gear, and with so much growth upon her bottom, they had feared that we should have to veer, and by this we should have lost much distance to leeward, whereas we desired to edge so much to windward as we could, being anxious to put space between us and the weed continent. And twice more that day we put this ship about, though the second time it was to avoid a great bank of weed that lay floating athwart our bows, for all to see to windward of the island, so far as we had been able to see from the top of the higher hill, was studded with floating masses of the weed, like unto thousands of islets, and in places like to far-spreading reefs. And because of this, the sea all about the island remained very quiet and unbroken, so that there was never any surf, no, nor scarce a broken wave upon its shore, and this for all that the wind had been fresh for many days. When the evening came, we were again upon the larboard tack, making perhaps some four knots in the hour. Though had we been in a proper rig, and with a clean bottom, we had been making eight or nine, with so good a breeze and so calm a sea. Yet so far our progress had been very reasonable, for the island lay maybe some five miles to leeward, and about fifteen astern. And so we prepared for the night, Yet a little before dark we discovered that the weed continent trended out towards us, so that we should pass it maybe at a distance of something like half a mile, and at that there was talk between the second mate and the boatswain as to whether it was better to put the ship about and gain a greater sea room before attempting to pass this promontory of weed. But at last they decided that we had not to fear, for we had fair way through the water, and further, it did not seem reasonable to suppose that we should have aught to fear from the inhabitants of the weed continent at so great a distance as the half of a mile. And so we stood on, for once past the point there was much likelihood of the weed trending away to the eastward, and if this were so, we could square in immediately and get the wind upon our quarter, and so make better way. Now, it was the boatswain's watch from eight of the evening until midnight, and I, with another man, had the lookout until four bells. Thus it chanced that, coming abreast of the point during our time of watching, we peered very earnestly to leeward, for the night was dark, having no moon until nearer the morning, and we were full of unease in that we had come so near again to the desolation of that strange continent. And then, suddenly, the man with me clutched my shoulder and pointed into the darkness upon our bow, and thus I discovered that we had come nearer to the weed than the boatswain and the second mate had intended, they without doubt having miscalculated our leeway. At this I turned and sang out to the boatswain that we were near to running upon the weed, and in the same moment he shouted to the helmsman to luff, and directly afterwards our starboard side was brushing against the great outlying tufts of the point, and so for a breathless minute we waited. Yet the ship drew clear, and so into the open water beyond the point, but I had seen something as we scraped against the weed, a sudden glimpse of white gliding among the growth, 
and then I saw others, and in a moment I was down on the main deck and running aft to the bosun. Yet midway, along the deck, a horrid shape came above the starboard rail, and I gave it a loud cry of warning. Then I had a capstan bar from the rack near, and smote with it at the thing, crying all the while for help. And at my blow the thing went from my sight, and the bosun was with me, and some of the men. Now the bosun had seen my stroke, and so sprang upon the t'gallant rail, and peered over, but gave back on the instant, shouting to me to run and call the other watch, for that the sea was full of the monsters swimming off to the ship. And at that I was away at a run, and when I had waked the men, I raced aft to the cabin and did likewise with the second mate, and so returned in a minute, bearing the bosun's cutlass, my own cut and thrust, and the lantern that hung always in the saloon. Now when I had gotten back, I found all things in a mighty scurry, men running about in their shirts and drawers, some in the galley bringing fire from the stove, and others lighting a fire of dry weed to leeward of the galley. And along the starboard rail there was already a fierce fight, the men using capstan bars even as I had done. Then I thrust the bosun's cutlass into his hand, and at that he gave a great shout, part of joy and part of approbation. And after that he snatched the lantern from me, and had run to the larboard side of the deck before I was well aware that he had taken the light. But now I followed him, and happy it was for all of us in the ship that he had thought to go at that moment, for the light of the lantern showed me the vile faces of three of the weed men climbing over the larboard rail, yet the bosun had cleft them wherever I could come near. But in a moment I was full busy, for there came nigh a dozen heads above the rail a little aft where I was, and at that I ran at them and did good execution, but some had been aboard if the bosun had not come to my help. And now the decks were full of light, several fires having been lit and the second mate having brought out fresh lanterns, and now the men had gotten their cutlasses, the which were more handy than the capstan bars, and so the fight went forward, some having come over to our side to help us, and a very wild sight it must have seemed to any onlooker. For all about the decks burned the fires and the lanterns, and along the rails ran the men, smiting at hideous faces that rose in dozens into the wild glare of our fighting lights, and everywhere drifted the stench of the brutes. And up on the poop, the fight was as brisk as elsewhere, and here having been drawn by a cry for help, I discovered the buxom woman smiting with a gory meat axe at a vile thing which had gotten a clump of its tentacles upon her dress, but she had dispatched it or ever my sword could help her. And then, to my astonishment, even at that time of peril, I discovered the captain's wife wielding a small sword, and the face of her was like to the face of a tiger, for her mouth was drawn and showed her teeth clenched, but she uttered no word or cry, and I doubt not but that she had some vague idea that she worked her husband's vengeance. Then, for a space, I was as busy as any, and afterwards I ran to the buxom woman to demand the whereabouts of Mistress Madison, and she, in a very breathless voice, informed me that she had locked her in her room out of harm's way, and at that I could have embraced the woman, for I had been sorely anxious to know that my sweetheart was safe.
and presently the fight diminished and so at last came to an end, the ship having drawn well away from the point, and being now in the open. And after that I ran down to my sweetheart and opened her door, and thus for a space she wept, having her arms about my neck, for she had been in sore terror for me, and for all the ship's company. But soon, drying her tears, she grew very indignant with her nurse for having locked her into her room, and refused to speak to that good woman for near an hour. Yet I pointed out to her that she could be of very great use in dressing such wounds as had been received, and so she came back to her usual brightness, and brought out bandages, and lint, and ointment, and thread, and was presently very busy. Now it was later that there arose a fresh commotion in the ship, for it had been discovered that the captain's wife was a-missing. At this the boatswain and the second mate instituted a search, but she was nowhere to be found, and indeed none in the ship ever saw her again, at which it was presumed that she had been dragged over by some of the weedmen, and so come upon her death. And at this there came a great prostration to my sweetheart, so that she would not be comforted for the space of nigh three days, by which time the ship had come clear of those strange seas, having left the incredible desolation of the weed continent far under our starboard counter. And so, after a voyage which lasted for nine and seventy days since getting under way, we came to the port of London, having refused all offers of assistance on the way. Now here I had to say farewell to my comrades of so many months and perilous adventures, yet being a man not entirely without means, I took care that each of them should have a certain gift by which to remember me. And I placed monies in the hands of the buxom woman, so that she could have no reason to stint my sweetheart, and she having, for the comfort of her conscience, taken her good man to the church, set up a little house upon the borders of my estate. But this was not until Mistress Madison had come to take her place at the head of my hall in the county of Essex. Now one further thing there is of which I must tell. Should any, chancing to trespass upon my estate, come upon a man of very mighty proportions, albeit somewhat bent by age, seated comfortably at the door of his little cottage, then shall they know him for my friend the boatswain. For to this day do he and I foregather, and let our talk drift to the desolate places of this earth, pondering upon that which we have seen the weed continent where reigns desolation and the terror of its strange habitants. And 
after that we talked softly of the land where God hath made monsters after the fashion of trees. Then, maybe, my children come about me, and so we change to other matters, for the little ones love not terror. You've been listening to The Boats of the Glen Carrig by William Hope Hodgson, read by Paul R. Potts. This audio recording is made available under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Share Alike 2.5 license. Find out more at creativecommons.org. Links for the project can be found at thepotshouse.org. Music for Chapter 17 is by Samsa from the album The Laurentian Divide and by Fold from the album In Favor of More Permanent Pleasures. These works are available at darkwinter.com. Sound effects are taken from the album Thaw, Field Recordings from Minnesota, available at wanderingear.com.